We live in difficult times. In this, the era of the cinematic universe, the TV of our childhood has begun to seem disjointed and nonsensical. That's why we, the Space Jam Continuum podcast team, have taken it upon ourselves to fashion a coherent cinematic universe from something that was simply never meant to be one. The Looney Tunes and Merry Melody's franchise. So join us for an epic tale of interdimensional travel, secret government agencies, monkey mayors, unsustainable welfare states, submissive dogs, escape tunes, regenerating pigs, questionable employment law, trouser hams, sentient eggs, malformed puffy doe trotters, demarcation and poor kind family drama. There's a long road ahead, so why not join us for the ride every Wednesday on Kaiju FM, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, as we try to create one exhaustive, cohesive Space Jam continuum. Welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast for cinemaphiles and movie fans. We talk about movies, talk about the films that we love and uh, people who make them and why they make them. Each week we pick a movie, we discuss some of the themes, ideas and sort of the uh, things it throws up in our analysis. As always, we end the show with our recommendations, further reading as we call it, movie inspired in our viewings by this week's film. But before all of that, we kick off, we always like to talk about what else we've been watching. So what we've been watching around our movie of the week. So Sam, as as the uh, your time gets less and less available to you, what have you been sneaking in? Well, nothing in the way of films. Um, but I have been catching up with W1A, a TV series about the inner workings of the BBC. A fiction loosely based on fact. Um, and it's just it's very good I, I almost don't like watching it because it's so I mean it's in the office mould of cringe based comedy and it's just too close to the bone it's often sort of frighteningly accurate in terms of how it talks about management speak and meetings and some of the scenes depicted are, are brilliantly terrible um, it's just it's, it's it's something I enjoy having watched because it's so good but I'm not sure I enjoy it in the process of watching it because it's just too too horrible um, Hugh Bonneville is especially good um, I've seen him in I saw him, he, he was alright in Paddington um, I did less said about that and now the better but he is just brilliant in this, he comes into his own so that'll be my recommendation for this week, the latest series of W1A. Fair enough. I must say I've I've never watched any of that, um, but I, I will check it out. Hmm. Now I I actually, guy, for once, have been to the movies. Wow. I have left my abode and leave my wife and child at home, and I went to see Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Because I wasn't going to miss it. I wasn't going to miss that film at the cinema. Um, and it took me probably three attempts to actually have a night where I could go and see it when Matilda wasn't ill uh, or my wife wasn't busy and to actually get things going. I actually managed to once to go out to actually get to the cinema thinking, brilliant, got my evening clear, go see the movie, got there, turned out I was a day early and it wasn't released yet. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> never mind. So yeah, I saw Blade Runner 2049. Um Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows my reaction to this, but those that don't, 
I absolutely love this film. I think it is probably my favourite cinematic experience since I saw Mad Max Fury Road. And I would probably I would put those two in contention as to how highly I regard this film. I'm a big fan of the original Blade Runner. It's one of the films that kind of shaped who I am and the films that I like and the stories I like. And this does an amazing job of honouring that original movie whilst treading new ground and breaking new new ground with with a with its story. It is visually it, is, it has that wonderful balancing act of being very evocative of the first film, very reminiscent of that first film, with Boss still at the same time carving its own path and painting its own images. I think Roger Deakins has done a fabulous job with its look, and short of Jared Leto, who I'm not a big fan of, anyone will not, will know. Apart from him, I think everyone's bringing their A game to this film. I can only recommend you see it with every fibre of my being um, if you like movies if you care for cinematic experiences at all this is a film to see and it's a film to see as, as big as you can see it so yeah I, I could right. wax lyrical about it for quite a while, I'm not going to because this, is, this episode isn't about that movie um, but I'm very glad I spent the time and the money to go and see it It is, it's, it's fabulous good so yes, that's Rob's hearty recommendation of, of the. I'm so because I, I always think, and, and you'll have this when you come. Like when you, when when it comes to you, when you have time to go and see a movie when you've got a little child, like you want it to be good because you're spending that money yes. and the time. Um, and like, like I don't get many nights out, obviously. Um, so when I do, I really want it to be good, and I don't want it. To, you know, Blade Runner particularly. If anyone's been online, you'll have seen this song from Mitch Ben. Um, uh, called Don't Fuck Up the Sequel to Blade Runner I, I know exactly how he feels uh, mm. like, there's a lot riding on this in my head same with Mad Max and being a fan of the originals um, mm. and it came through in spades well I'm glad I mean as as you say I mean it, we went to the cinema to see Kingsman recently and that was not great and I've talked about how not great it was but I would have been dumbly pissed off if that had been a cinematic experience that I've been waiting for and I'd sacrifice things in order to see it. So I can understand where you're coming from. Yes, yeah, it's there's a lot riding on it. Yes. Yeah. Right then, so this week's film, well, this week we're looking at the next in our Joel Schumacher film series. It's the 1993 film Falling Down. Bill Foster is an ordinary man. Where are you going? Going home. Not this way or not. Why not? Metro Rail Construction, that's why not. Living in the everyday world. I don't suppose you'd have a couple of bucks you could give me. It wouldn't really help me out. If you give me your address, I'll mail it back, honest. A patient man. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese omelet, wham fries. I'm sorry. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? Falling Down in 1993 stars Michael Douglas as an unemployed defence worker. You find out towards the end of the film. You don't know to start with. Um, he takes out his anger at his life, his job or lack of, his ex-wife, his estranged daughter. He takes it out in various ways, is the best way of putting it. Um, Robert Duvall also stars as a cop who's retiring early to help his wife who's been driven mad by the death of their young daughter 
and fairly predictably on Duval's last day in the job their paths collide so Rob talk to us about this film so yeah Falling Down it's one of those films that I would probably put things like Requiem for a Dream in there um, Irreversible which are good films that you never want to watch again really um, it's not quite as bad as those two films, certainly. But it has that same kind of, it's a good film. I really think it's a very good film. But to say you like it as a film is an odd experience. It is a film that is very violent. It is a film that's clearly very angry. Um, and it clearly sets its targets on many, many people for many, many reasons. And it's a film that obfuscates its truth it tries to hide what it is in many ways and it doesn't give you clear-cut answers as to who's in the right here who's in the wrong here you know as sam says uh, the bill foster character kind of goes off the rails and he goes through a series of vignettes um of dealing with the different problems that he sees or the writer sees or the filmmakers see in the modern day and like you start you kind of start on his side a little bit, and you get where he's coming from on some of them, and you get where he's coming from on some other ones. But at the same time, you don't, you don't back him up really. You, you, like he isn't the hero. And there's a lovely moment at the end when he's talking to Pendergast, and he's like, "Oh, I'm the bad guy," hmm. and it just hasn't clearly hasn't hit him until that point that he is he's become the bad guy. Um, and there's a sort of, it's sort of anarchic streak I like to it. You know, the idea of like this is this is vigilantes in the real world. It, you know, it isn't. It isn't Batman in his superpower suits. It's, this is it. But it is a film that it's hard to like. It hasn't really got a hero. Even Prendergast, who is nominally our hero, isn't a heroic character particularly. Um, you know, he, he is very trope-driven. In he's the last day of a cop. He's you know, a desk-bound cop who's kind of finds his way to be a real cop again. Um, but he still isn't a hero. He certainly isn't a protagonist in the way that... Uh, Foster is, but as I said last week, I like this film. I I, I enjoy it as best you can with a film like this. Um, now, but I do believe it was new to you, Sam. So I'm intrigued to know how you see it. It was. Um, I'm I'm going to disagree with you a bit, actually. Well, offer you a different opinion because I really enjoyed this film, and I don't I don't think it's it's one that I would find find it difficult to rewatch. I mean, I don't rewatch a lot of films, but I I really enjoyed it and I didn't feel that you had to empathize with the protagonist. Um and I in the same way that I would liken it to other American tragic stories of the 20th century and we can go into that a bit later but it there are other things things like the plays of Arthur Miller um, Death for Salesman Willie Loman is not a, a sympathetic protagonist at all um, but there's something about him that is attractive that's that's where I would, I would put this film I would say that the characters are really attractive and engaging you mm. don't necessarily like them but you enjoy spending time with them so I really I really like this film I thought it was really good so I'll ask, I'll ask you a question then that, that, that I was thinking about in terms of filmmakers intent do you empathise with Bill Foster no 
No, not. I mean, reaction aside, this is this is the thing I was trying to talk about earlier. Is that like react? His reaction to things aside. Oh right, okay. You know, like uh, I'm not saying you'd go to the sense of uh, shooting people and stabbing people and that kind of violent mm. extreme, but the film seems to kind of go, kind of take you halfway a little bit sometimes, and you know, you end up, as I say, this, this complex character, Bill Foster, where you kind of like, no, I see what he's saying. Like, you know, better things like the. Um, the golf course, the whole, you know, there's this yeah. swathe of green land, and he's like, you know, there should be families playing here, you know, there's a lake and stuff, it's brilliant. Um, and, like, you're like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's yeah. right. Um, and even, even, like, the end of that, well, that sequence sort of ends when he hides with the gardener and his family, and then, and he's just so shocked when he sees the blood and he thinks he's hurt the little girl, and you think, well, Okay, you may maybe I can empathise with him because he's he just seems like a nice bloke. Mm. And then you remember about the bazooka and the shootings and the stabbings and you think, Well, maybe not. And the fact that it all, it all stems from his his inability to allow his voice to move on. Like like this three point of going home as he says. You know, his end goal isn't heroic goal, it's to terrorise his ex wife. But the film, every step away, like it, it's. I think it's interesting, and it ends up with this character. I think that's one of the power of this film, one of the strength of this film, is you end up with a character that is equally revolting as he is appealing. Mm, yes. Um, and I think, I mean, I think there's a lot to that. In, in, in you look at the character, he's he is. I mean, it's set in ninety two, ninety three. This film is, um, but he's dressed like a you know a dad from the sixties, isn't it? You know, white shirt, button on shirt, tie pocket protector and those those brow line glasses that he wears um he's very that kind of throwback old school americana guy mm. um and how that juts up against at this point early 90s america i think it's not a big stretch to draw the line between some of the things that he sees and faces there and his reaction to them and some of the current problems shall we say that uh, the face America and particularly white male America, mm. um, and and their reaction. And I, like, I haven't seen this film for a couple of years. I must say, off the back of the first two interactions, which were the one with uh, Mister Lee in his shop and and the two gang bangers, I was a little worried that it was going to end go down a bit of a um, white supremacist. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the white man's been put upon by um, all these immigrants, kind of route. And it feels a little like it's going to go that way, but then also it swerves again with the whammy burger scene in which he wants um, a burger. And it just feels like, like roiling against the um, uh, sort of modern America um, in, in all its forms. Yeah, this is... I mean, I mentioned when Lem, there are, there are other tragic heroes in the 20th century that deal with this idea of America and the American dream. And this is the other half of the American dream. So you have um, success and capitalism, consumerism, buying into ideals that, that are sold you um, about spending money, about owning things, um, about moving forward in society that way. And then on the other, on the flip side of it, you have what this does to little people. You have something like a juxtaposition with that um, I'm not economically viable guy who's mm. 
protesting outside the loans company and you think that's the flip side of this of this modern america of this consumerism and that's and and as as you say there there are times where you think well bills onto something here mm. you think in that wami burger scene or in in the golf course scene when he's saying what this should be used for this should be there should be families playing here and it's just like this is i mean this is someone who's gone through the american dream and out the other side and seen it for what it is yeah and he says at the end you know like he was lied to like he was he th- this is an america who were told and you know, i think me remember early 90s recessions going on you know these people who were told that they've worked hard and that, that, that they stay a, they get a job then they're going to be okay and this is a man who isn't okay he's worked hard at his job and it sounds like a, a good government job shall we say rather than anything else that's gone mm. away his wife's left him um his kid who is clearly happy to see him but is going to grow up with a different kind of relationship his mum who is clearly going through some problems of her own like his life is in tatters um and i think it's it's you know this film feels precedent in that way i think it's, it's a different generation these days are being hitting but you know i think we all know we call the millennials who've gone through the system, gone to university, been told, you know, go to university, you get a good job, who have left university to find that there just are no jobs. Mm. In that amount of people who I know who have got bachelor's degrees or master's degrees who are working in call centres or working in shops and working in what would traditionally be called, you know, unskilled labour or in entry-level jobs just because there is nothing out there. I don't. It's very easy to see this film, whilst obviously at this point being coming on what twenty five years old, um, mm. still has that same kind of resonance and the idea of a changing world um, and how how we react to that. Mm. I like. I want to talk a bit about um, this phrase falling down as well. Um, because there there are times when it's sort of it's an obvious metaphor and it hits you over the head when it, in in the scene with the neo Nazi when it becomes clear that he's talking about falling down socially as well as physically when he says, Well, gravity's gonna take me down. But there are other things like you have um or whether the Prendergast have decided to go to this town which which boasts the Lon- the the original London Bridge and mm. you have the the London Bridge rhyme that he sings with his wife over the phone. So you have this this um this phrase, London Bridge is falling down goes throughout the film and that sort of brings together Prendergast and and Foster. It's mm. an interesting one, like what what other things do you think? Why why do you think falling down gets used so much in this film? Well, I think it, it's it's everyone sees falling down as as a different have a different view. You know, it, it, mm. it's, it's about the falling down of society in many ways, but everyone seems to be pointing that a different way. Obviously, Bill Foster himself has his, you know, he's he's the reason why he thinks society's falling down but it's interesting that going into it almost all of his like his drive is not vigilantism it's that he wants to go home he wants to get people in the way and people get in his way whereas you've got to think that the owner of the surplus store clearly nazi um and he has his views about you know, gay people and what they're doing for society and that kind of thing um i think it's also interesting if you look at falling down in terms of the cops now 
the Prendergast obviously is, is a, a theme running through it. Um, but Bill Foster gets a lot of attention. But Prendergast is dealing with his cops um, and his cop friends. And I, I did enjoy it. I thought was a lot in the interaction he has with his ex-partner and his ex-partner's new partner. Mm. Um, and it's the ideal that you know, that this this that his 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 partner, whose name currently escapes me, but I'm just going to quickly look at it up. Sandra. Uh, Sandra, um, who seems to be this gap between this middle generation between Prendergast and the new guy coming in, and the new guy coming in, who supposedly is the younger version of Prendergast, and even the captain says, you know, I don't like you. You're not a real man. And you get the very much feeling that he likes the new guy, who's more a real man, mm. but he's a dickhead. Yeah, uh, and he's he's a thoroughly repugnant person, and it's this idea that like we're just gonna get we're just getting worse, and that people are turning on each other, and there isn't this kind of sense of community, um, and I think I think the thing that really struck me in terms of um, sort of the falling down and the kind of the, the sort of sullying of things is the idea that comes up with kind of borders and locations. Um, in in the society, and they become more obvious as the film goes on. But essentially, Bill moves through these places. He moves through these um, locations, and in many ways, they get better as he goes through. So early on, it's a little little store, a stretch of disused land. Um, he kind of I feel like he goes up in society as he goes through. He ends up, you know, golf course. He ends up in a very very rich mansion. Mm. Um, and it, it, all these locations, and it, there's a sense of place that he's trying to find. But as he goes up, it gets almost somehow morally worse. Yeah, at least in his mind, um, and it's not his reaction. No, he his first one, he you know he just uh, beats up some baits and donuts and, and and pays for his money, and he attacks the the gangbangers with a bat. At the end, he's blowing people up with rocket launchers and shooting people and killing people. Um, he gets worse. He, he as he goes through what in many ways would be considered, especially in the American dream, getting better. You know, he comes from from nowhere and gets his way through to the height of opulence. This rich, mega rich, Planet Surgeon's house. Mm. But it just feels like he's getting grimier and grimier, and that he's kind of stepping down and finding new depths in which he doesn't. He finds revulsion in society. Yeah, although I think. What you were saying about the cops is interesting because it is not just um, Foster who is to blame here. And something you see in the cops' society is, and you you picked up on there with with the, the junior partner coming in, is that they're not very nice to each other. No. And they, there's this culture of sort of hazing verging on abuse and you have filling filling Prendergast draw with cat litter and then later on you have the this this nasty misogyny laden um goodbye party that he throws and it ends mm. with him punching the the younger guy over his wife and you think well okay yes i can see how foster is the bad guy here and I mean that's a realization that I came to earlier than he did in the film, but like the cops are not unsullied themselves. There is something about the American dream, something about modern America that that corrupts everyone, that infiltrates all these different sectors of society. Mm. 
Well, I think, I think that that's the other sort of the flip side of this film um, is this idea that is like obviously Bill Foster sees everything's getting worse, but is it really getting worse? I mean, is it is it the end of the world that people have nice things? Is it the end of the world that uh, you know that, that, that there's a, a golf course somewhere? Um, and it just feels like I don't know. It, it, the film feels like half time. It's kind of going, oh, wasn't it all better back in the day? Um, and the other half of it's going, look at you people who think it was all better back in the day. Mm. And sort of swings between those things. And the idea is it trying to say society's worse now, or is it saying that it's not worse, but there's a lot of people who think it's worse? Because yeah. um, because even in even at the lowest point of the film, which is I would say probably is the um, uh, the the, the store owner and his Nazi collection, mm. like you see him being out of sync with everyone else. Like the whole scene with with the the gay couple in his shop, like the film isn't saying this man is indicative America, um, but he is indicative part of America. I don't think it's a stretch to say that the whole you know white supremacist gun toting. Um, NRA members of America are are a sizable cohort. Um, and it just feels like, and th- th- this is not a complaint in any way. This is, I think, a, a pure strength of it. Is the film seems to examine all the facets of uh, Bill Foster's alienation from the world around him, mm. um, the good and the bad, and then that reflects for a lot of us, especially for America, particularly that same alienation. I think I think Britain hasn't got quite the same problems because we've got a longer history we went through a lot of things it's a very different kind of relationship whereas america being this in many ways a new nation um and one coming to terms with the modern world and what it means to be the old guard a bit more now you, you're no longer the upstart you're no longer you know the new country finding their way but you're now dealing with real world problems and some of it is of your own making and I, I think the film. I think the film. The fact. The fact. I say. I think the fact that the film doesn't offer any clear cut endings, um, and doesn't offer. You know, it really doesn't really offer any moral judgment, apart from maybe on some of the uh, Nazis, but it just kind of gives us questions and thought pieces. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you and I have been talking about this film now for almost the entire podcast, and we could go on talking probably for a couple of hours without really being able to nail down this is the message of the film yes yeah that's i mean it's one one of the strengths of the film that you just i mean it's almost like an emotional reaction you have to this film you you can see someone feeling angry and you can you can understand immediately that they are angry but you're not sure why and that's something you have to try and puzzle out over the course mm. of the film. And I think you know, it is interesting, and it's like this is to get real for a moment, Sam. Like both of you and I are middle class straight white guys, as we often say on this film, on the on, the, on this podcast. And there is an element of what we're going through currently is trying to realise that for the lot of for almost entire history, we have been the default human mm. is is a straight white bloke. And as we deal with that these days, that isn't true. And so the idea that Bill Foster just wants to go home, well, that doesn't actually mean much because he's just a bloke. And he thinks because of who he is and what he's been through that he has, you know, he he, he attacks 
um, Mr. Lee for not speaking the language, and he attacks uh, the two gangbangers for using graffiti that he doesn't understand. And it just feels like he's like, well, why don't you, you know, even Whammy Burger? You know, at certain points, they've got to stop serving breakfast. You know, I'm not defending him, but like, it feels like he's just kind of, it's that kind of moment in which white people suddenly realise, you know what, the world doesn't revolve around me. Mm. Um, or, you know, straight people, male people, whatever sort of the, 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 the normative default in, in commas that is considered in your society. We are going through, we have, we have going to since the 90s, this idea that, that that isn't the case anymore and diversity is is a thing. Obviously, there are a lot of people who think it's a bad thing, but it's something that we've got to come terms with. That the place in the world that was assured and secure isn't anymore because facing modernity, facing diversity, facing the honest truth about life. Yeah. Well, I I think we should probably leave it there. As as you say, we spent hours talking about this film, particularly that last point, that point about about responses to modernity and sort of a, a white male response to being, I suppose, being unseated is is what we're talking about really. Um, I I understand listeners that rob may be not quite ready to give us some recommendations yet i'm good i'm good you good i'm good well well, then you go first fair enough so i've got two two recommendations and and an honorable mention um one is actor and one's kind of thematic um but once again i think we Falling Down is a film that it's very hard to find films that thematically link to it because it is a, a bit of a film apart in many ways. There aren't many other films like it. Um, the first one I would recommend is um, Sandra, played by, I think it's Melly, uh, Rachel Ticotin. Excuse me. Um, all the way through, there's something, I know you from somewhere, I know you from somewhere. And a quick Google answer that for me. She plays the love interest. Um, in 1990s Total Recall based on a Philip K. Dick novel if you can tell I'm in that kind of mood currently uh, starring Schwarzenegger um, in one of his more um, eclectic movies certainly one of his more out there movies before he put movie doing comedies and that stuff in this era telling the story of a worker from the um, Earth who kind of discovered he should have been on Mars and it's very sort of weird trippy sci-fi she's very good in it as the leader of uh, the Mars Resistance and um, part of uh Past. It's one of those films, everyone's probably seen it, but I just thought, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, and uh, I'm not sure how you listen to podcasts, we haven't seen it a lot there before, but I'd certainly recommend that one if you have. The other film I recommend, and this is kind of where we get into slight tricky territory, in many ways this film feels similar to things like Death Wish, um, Dirty Harry, and that kind of vigilantism film um, but I didn't think that those kind of films did the same duty and diligence around the moral dubiousness of of what people do um, and you know there's, there's a lot of uh, what's the word for it uh, sort of sanctifying of vigilantism in some of these films but that isn't always the case and I want to talk about a film that I don't think Sam will have seen and maybe not heard of and that's 1984's Savage Streets Directed by uh, Danny Steinman and Tom DeSimon, starring Linda Blair, 
Essentially, it is a entry in the rape-revenge sub-genre of horror, infamously sort of publicised by things like Ice Put in Your Grave. But this um, is someone who wasn't raped, but is seeking revenge on behalf of her, her sister and best friend. It is violent. It is very 80s. Um, but it is brilliant in that kind of schlocky, schlocky exploitation movies of the era. And it also does do some some work around the idea of the justification of violence. And, you know, is, is violence justified if it depends on it means? At what point, if someone hurts you so badly, can you react with certain things? Um, but, as I say, it, it, it's a little more left field. So I would expect people not seeing it. But if you haven't, and you have the stomach for these films, they are can be intense watching some of these rape revenge films. If you haven't seen it, uh, Savage Streets. All right, Sam. Um, I have a thematic one which Rob is going to scoff at, and then also an actor related one. You um, don't know me. I, I, I can embrace it heartily. No, I I know for definite what your reaction is going to be. Um, nevertheless, I'm going to go ahead and say it. this is. I mean, I wouldn't. It, it's by no means one of the best films I've ever seen at all. It is, however, the probably the film I've rewatched most. It's just I just find it really fun, and it's not even as good as earlier ones in the series of films. I don't know why I like it, but it's just enjoyable. Um, and there's something about the tone of this film, the, the tone of violence and the heat of the city in summer, which is something we didn't talk about. Mm. Um, is It reminds me of quite a lot of the scenes in Die Hard 3. Um, uh, I just love that film. I love Die Hard 3. All right, good. Die, Die Hard 2, the one I think is terrible. Uh, yeah, you're wrong, and 4 and 5, fine. but, you know, well, of the true trilogy, one, 1 and 3 are brilliant. <laughs> okay, right. Um, my my second one is uh, is an actor-related connection. Um, also not a particularly great film. Um, quite an enjoyable film, really. Um it's a Michael Douglas film from later in the decade, I think, possibly in the next decade. It's a Michael Douglas film called Wonder Boys, about an academic and various relationships, romantic or otherwise, that he has. And it's just enjoyably ridiculous. It's the sort of... I mean, I've spent time in academia. It's nothing like academia. <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous. But it's just, it's just good fun to watch. It's a sort of, it's a Sunday night film if you've got nothing else better to do. It'll probably be on BBC Two at half past eleven at night every every so often. So one Wonder Boys. Fair enough, fair enough. I must say, I have not seen that, but I, I shall have to add it to my epic to do list and uh, get to it one day. Right, one day. Yeah. One day. One day. So guys, we'll be back next week with our next entry in the Joel Schumacher canon. Uh, he is in one of his more favourite films. Uh, that is the film 8mm. Till then, you can find both of us on Twitter, at Pretty Podcast. you find just me at life underscore academic. And just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week.
The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.